Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Doing good. Awesome. Well, we're glad to be with you here this morning. Uh, like I said, my name is Steve. This is my wife, Brooke. We are the youth pastors here at Homestead. It's just an honor to be with you this morning. Before we jump into the message today, uh, we kind of have some heavy hearts this morning as we lost someone uh, pretty near and dear to this church and to us as well. If you have not heard, on Thursday evening, uh, we lost Roger Lane. He went home to be with the Lord. And if you don't know who Roger Lane is, first of all, that really surprises me because he liked to make himself known, right? <laughs> he liked to say, how can I pray for you and wanted to meet you. Um, but that was Pastor Christie's father and uh, and the Kerr's kids, their grandpa, the, Ke- the Ketterling kids, their grandpa. And so... Uh, we just want to take a minute and just honor him this morning and just kind of tell you what he meant uh, to us. So I first met Roger Lane at Cedar Valley Church. Maybe you didn't know this, but he was the executive pastor at Cedar Valley Church. And I was working at Cedar Valley in the facilities department. And so the, the side that I first saw of Roger Lane uh, was the, the guy in charge, right? He was the leader. He was the one leading people. And so I, I learned about leadership. From watching him, I learned about how to manage people. He was the budget guy. He was the stewardship guy, right? He led discipleship. And so, and so that was the side of Roger Lane that I saw, the pastor, the leader. And I got to tell you, when I was in, in getting a promotion and I had to do an interview, and Roger Lane sitting across from you asking you questions, very intimidating, <laughs> okay? Very, very intimidating. But then we uh, started working here at Homestead, and we began to become really close with the Kerrs, and so that meant we became close with Roger Lane, and I found out he's not so intimidating, <laughs> right? He just, he loves everyone. Yesterday, Stephen said he is a bowl full of jelly. Yeah, I don't bowl, know what that means. I don't means. know what that means, <laughs> but he was, right? He's so much fun, loved to joke around, loved to encourage people, just so much fun, so kind, so tender. And, uh, Man, I'm a better man because I knew him and because of the legacy that he left. I got to watch him not only be the pastor, but but I got to see him be a husband. I got to see him be a father. I got to see him be a grandpa. And so I'm a better man. I'm a better husband. I'm a better uh, father because of Roger Lane. And he's just someone who is really special to us and really special to this church. And I don't know if you guys realize, um, but our church is better off because we had Roger Lane here speaking into the life of this church. And so we just love him. We just honor him this morning. Yeah, and he was just somebody that we could call at any time four years ago, and we were just, like, overwhelmed with our budget. He was like, come over tonight. We'll talk through it. And he talked through it with us. And um, not only that, but we really did get to see just such a family man that he was. And this past Mother's Day, we were at the Kerr's house after church, and he he was just intentional with every person that he talked to and um, intentional with our kids, too, which I just feel like is rare. And so um, we were sitting at the kitchen table, and we were having ice cream after lunch. We have um, crispy burgers on Mother's Day. Crispy burgers because Jeff burnt them on yeah, the grill. Yeah, Jeff burnt them. So we call Two them years crispy in a row, burgers. they're crispy burgers. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> and after we were having um, lunch, that we had dessert, and we had ice cream, and the kids were sitting around the table with him, which I think he appreciated having a new audience with our kids a little bit. Uh, but he sat there and he took the ice cream and literally put so much ketchup on his ice cream and then ate it. 
And it was just to make our kids laugh. And we recognize that he was intentional with all of you, just in the same way that he's been intentional with us and with our kids. And so we recognize not only, I mean, it's a tremendous loss for Anne and for the Kerrs and the Ketterlings, but it's also a loss for our church. And we recognize that we're all grieving his loss and he will be missed. And so we just want to take a moment and just pray for their family. So Stephen's going to lead us through that. Yes, and then also just to let you know, next Thursday, or this coming Thursday, will be the Celebration of Life. That's going to be at Cedar Valley Church, visitation at 10 a.m., and then the uh, service will be at 11. So we'd love to have you join us for that. But let's just pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for Roger Lane. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his legacy. God, we thank you for the thousands of people uh, that you touched through him, God. And we just thank you that he was obedient, that he wasn't afraid to be bold, that he wasn't afraid to call us out, uh, to call us to greatness, and to call us what God has called us to do. And so we just thank you for Roger Lane. God, we just pray uh, that you would be with Anne as she is mourning the loss of her best friend. God, we just pray that you would be with her, that you would comfort her, that you would give her strength, and God, that she would see that she has so many people surrounding her who love her and care for her. Lead her and guide her in the next step uh, in her life, Lord Jesus. We pray for the, the Kerrs and the Ketterlings as well. God, would you comfort them? Would you help them as they are planning, as they are moving forward and taking the next steps in their life? We love you and we praise you. That's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. 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 Okay, well, today we're going to talk about sin. Yay. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's a Roger Lane move right that there. That is. Right? That totally is. Sin and holy living. So happy new year and let's get to it. I'm sure this is everyone's favorite subject to talk about in church. On the way here, I'm sure you're all like, man, if the pastors could just talk about one thing today, personal sin would bless my heart. Amen. <laughs> and that is not probably the case for all of us here. But if that was the case, then you might be prophetic if you were thinking that on the way over this morning. Um, but in my own personal Bible study these last few months, the concept of sin has just kind of stuck out quite a bit to me through my uh, own personal Bible study. And I've come to realization about a couple things which seem very elementary today, but I want to share them with you this morning before we dive in. The first realization that I had is that sin is actually something that we need to talk more about. Because if we read the Bible, we see that not one person is immune to sin, which means we also are not immune to sin. Um, sometimes I think that if we've been a Christian a really long time, we almost desensitize ourselves from sin because we think, well, geez, I'm doing pretty good. The world looks awful, but I don't look like that. I don't talk like that. I don't think that way. Uh, my reactions to things aren't the world's reactions to things. Um, so I'm pretty good. But the reality is, is next to Jesus, even if we're doing all the right Christian things, we are still really dirty, rotten sinners next to our perfect Savior. The second thing I had my realization in regards to sin is to address righteousness, to address closeness with God or growing in our walk with him or holy living, which we're going to talk about today. We have to first address the problem of sin in our lives. So that's what we're going to do today. Now, before you all get up and leave and you're like, I'm never coming back here, let's just take a deep breath because I promise you that this sermon is not going to be an awful sermon for you to sit through, but it's actually going to be incredibly hopeful. But like I said, to grow in our walk with the Lord in 2023, we have to get back to the basics and address the problem of sin. 
So if you have your Bibles, which I encourage you all to bring to church, one thing I I was just sitting in in front of my Bible a couple weeks ago, and I use my Bible kind of like a notebook, and so there are prayers and lots of underlined things and sticky notes all over it, and I just had this moment where I just like started to tear up because my Bible is just uh, an anthem of God's faithfulness to my life, and so I would encourage you to bring your Bibles, to use it, and it's something you can look back on and think, man, I prayed for this and God came through, or this is what I'm believing for this year, so make sure you actually use your Bible, use it to take notes and, and bring it to church, because even there's little sermons that you might for, forget little key things, and if you write it in there, it's just it will bless you in the future as well. So bring your Bibles. Uh, But we're going to be in the book of Romans, which is the second book after the Gospels. Yesterday I said that, I said, uh, Romans is the second book in the New Testament after the Gospels. And I think some people were like, she's wrong, because I didn't finish my sentence yet. The New Testament starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then there's Acts, which is the beginning of the church, and then Romans. Now, Romans is a very fabulously complex book uh, that was written by the Apostle Paul to the people of Rome, very full of theology and lots of uh, different contexts of our Christian living. But ancient Rome, we know, was a very important center of the church, right? It was a populated city. It was kind of an important center for Christianity, full of Gentiles. uh, And then um, the majority was Gentiles, and there were also lots of Jews living there as well. When you read the book of Romans, there are many key words that pop up. Sin is one of them. We see righteousness come up. We see the law, justification, and faith. So in Romans 1, right away, we see the subject of sin comes up. So we're going to look at Romans 1, starting in verse 18 together. Now, before we read this portion of scripture, I just want you to understand Paul's goal for this portion of scripture. Paul's goal here is to demonstrate our need for a savior. So that is his ultimate goal through this entire uh, portion of Romans that we're going to read together. So let's, let's look at it together, beginning in verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godli- godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known by God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. So that basically is saying God revealed himself to these people. Uh, For since creation of the world, God's invisible invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what was being made, so that people are without excuse. Now before we move on, I want to talk for a moment about the word wrath. Now when I think of the word wrath, I immediately think of anger. Anyone else? Or just me? Yeah. Anger. I think of a a moment where my kids do something that makes me so angry that the wrath of mom comes out, and it's not a good or holy thing. It is a not good thing. And sometimes I hear the word wrath, and I immediately think of revenge, because someone wronged you so terribly that then out of your own selfishness, you try and get back at them. You come at them with revenge, and that can't be the case here. But instead, it's important to note that the wrath of God is actually completely justifiable, a very righteous action, and it is a good thing. So the verse goes on to talk about the wicked people knew God because God made himself plain to them. He made himself obvious to them. We are not talking about the sins of people who did not know Jesus, who did not know God or who hadn't heard of God. But we're talking about the sins of people who God had revealed himself to who have had God work maybe in their lives, and yet these people chose to reject him anyway, and they were without excuse. 
Now, little side note on this portion of scripture, I think we as Christians can be incredibly good at projecting judgment and condemnation onto people who have no faith in Jesus and expect them to live up to a godly standard while we completely ignore our own personal sins or maybe even the, the personal sins of those close to us. Now, this is incredibly dangerous territory to be in when we start thinking that we are the world's accountability because we are not asked to be the world's accountability but we are asked to spur one another on. Your Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. Those, not if you're if you stand up in here and you're like, I know you by first name. I'm going to go spur you on and tell you the things that you're doing wrong. No, <laughs> that is not helpful. We're talking about your close brothers and sisters in Christ. You are allowed to spur those people on, right? Roger Lane was incredibly good at spurring people on. I, we were talking to um, Paul Johns, and he was like, we were in a Bible study with Roger, and all of a sudden he was he said. Tell me what you know about Ephesians. Give us a little over, overview of the book of Ephesians, right? That was Roger because he loved so well that he didn't want you to stay stagnant. He wanted you to grow. Even when I was there two weeks ago, I was talking to him, sitting next to him, and he was like, tell me everyone you're discipling. Name them. I want to know. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Chill out a little bit. But he loved us so much that he spurred us on. He didn't want us to stay stagnant in our faith. He wanted us to grow. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to spur one another on, our brothers and sisters in Christ, not the world, not those that don't, who don't know Christ. What we are called to do for those who don't know Christ, is to be the light of Christ, to offer them grace and to and love them and offer them a listening ear and sometimes close our mouths a little bit, right? We are called to be the light of Christ to those people who have yet to accept him and walk alongside them in their journey and pray alongside of them. Uh, when a person who knows God, but yet they continue to reject God and his truth and his wisdom and his goodness and his faithfulness, this scripture tells us that those people are without excuse. And by the way, we are so often those people. Moving on in Romans, picking up in verse 21, it says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But in their thinking, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So again, Paul is saying these people knew, knew God, they knew about him, they knew the right things, but those things didn't change their hearts. The things of God didn't change who they were. This verse goes on to say that they were not thankful for God, they did not glorify God, but instead they chose to glorify created things like human beings and animals and birds and reptiles. And because of that, their thinking was foolish and their hearts were darkened. I love, uh, I love Charles Spurgeon, so I came across this commentary on this verse, and this is what he says. Will you kindly notice, according to my text, knowledge is of no use if it does not lead to holy practice. They knew God. It was no use to know God, for they glorified him as not God. This is my favorite part. So my theological friend over there, who knows so much he can split hairs over doctrine, Doctrines, it does not matter what you think, what you know, unless it leads you to glorify God and be thankful. That is so convicting. <laughs> I, and I love it. I love Sassy Charles. That is so good. But our knowledge is not good enough to keep us from sinning unless our knowledge 
leads us to glorifying God with a thankful heart, which then produces holy living. So back to the scriptures. Remember, we've been saying, I'm sure you're like, yes, Brooke, we get it. But I'm the type of learner that I have to say, okay, this is what I see in this portion of scripture, and this is how it relates to the next passage of scripture. So I'll always give little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Recaps. Um, so remember, this is what we've been saying. Paul is saying that these people know God. They were not thankful for God. They did not glorify God, but instead glorified things that God created. They chose to reject God, which God says they have no excuse for. So let's see what God does because of their choice, which by the way, I'll give you a little hint. God honors their choice. And I also want you to pay attention as we look at this portion of scripture to the times where it says God gave them over. So continuing on in Romans, picking up in verse 24, it says, therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural sexual relations with women and were inflamed with lusts with one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they... Uh -huh. so that they do what ought not be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They are gossips and slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent new ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding of fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees... And those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do the very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So again, we're not going to get into all the nitty-gritty things there. But I just want you to see this progression. These people knew God. They knew of him. They had God work in their lives. They knew his decrees. They were not thankful for God. They did not glorify God. And so as we saw mentioned in this passage three times, God gave them over. He gave them over to their choice. Throughout this passage of Romans, we see this natural progression and downward spiral that is on the screen. We see that they knew God, right? Those, the things of God didn't change who they were. They knew God, which then they were not thankful and they did not glorify God. So they served created things rather than serving our creator. So what did God do? He honored their choice. He gave them over to their sinful desires, which in that first part, we see lots of not great things, which then led to shameful lust, which then it just gets worse, right? And then he gave them over to a depraved mind, and that one was even worse than the portion before. This is an incredibly intense, rapid spiral, all because of sin, all because we don't really take in who God truly is is because we don't really know God and we don't glorify God and we don't honor him or we're not thankful for him. That is a really rapid, rapid spiral that I don't want to be on. But because we are immune to sin or we're not immune to sin, this should really convict our hearts. 
This should rattle our insides a little bit. It shouldn't produce guilt in any sort of way, but it should convict our hearts because the reality is the price is incredibly high when we continuously give ourselves over to sin, when we are on that rapid downward spiral, which is something we don't want to be on. As Charles Spurgeon said, knowledge is of no use unless it produces holy living. Amen. Can you tell she's a little smart? She's the smart one, okay? You just got a college-level theology lesson, all right? So, hey, if you ever have questions on theology or about biblical stuff... Ask Pastor Christie. No, come... Well, you can ask Pastor Christie, but come and ask Pastor Brooke, okay? She may not have the answer right up front, but she is so good at going and digging into the Word and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal things to her. And so she's the one that I go to when I am prepping for sermons, and I don't understand some... What are you laughing at? <laughs> and I don't understand something in the Bible, Okay. She doesn't take compliments well, apparently. So she's a genius over here. So you're going from that to me now. You guys ready? Okay, so that was a little depressing, right? We're like, oh, man, like sin, darkness, struggling, like God giving, honoring our choice to sin, giving us over. Now we have depraved minds, right? Like what are we going to do? Don't worry, there's good news because of Jesus, right? And so this is what we want to talk about uh, for the rest of the time today. How can we live a holy life? First thing is this, before we get into the meat of it, we need to realize that we're never going to be perfect at this. We're never going to be perfect at this. If we could be perfect at this, we wouldn't need a savior. We wouldn't need the cross. We wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be meeting here today. If we could just work really hard and not sin and do it ourselves, we wouldn't need to be here. So as believers, we need to recognize that we will fall short. We will mess up. Now, does that mean that we should just throw up our hands and say, I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to keep on sinning. I'm just going to let sin take over, right? I'm not even going to try to strive for holiness. Well, no, of course not. Of course we're not called to do that. Paul says in the book of Romans, Romans 6, uh, 1 and 2, it says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Like, why don't we just continue sinning? Then the grace of God will show even more, right? Let's just sin and God's grace will cover it. Well, no, by no means, it says. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Even though we can't be perfect, even though we're going to fall short and get stuck in sin, sometimes we have seasons of darkness, we run from sin, as believers of Christ, we run from sin. We don't sit down in it. We don't accept it. We don't let it control our lives. And so what we want is we just want to talk about four different things that we can do or that we should be doing that we're called to do as believers to live a holy life with that preface of we're never going to get this right. We're never going to get this perfect. So the first thing is this. We need to really know God. We need to really know God. We are meant to be in relationship with Jesus. Apart from a relationship with Jesus, we have no chance at holiness. We just don't. We can't do it. We are human. We are broken. We have no chance at overcoming our sin. But if we enter into a relationship with Jesus and we choose to walk daily with him, he's our strength. We don't have to rely on our own human strength anymore. He is the one who helps us overcome our temptations and our struggles. And so maybe some of us today need to ask ourselves this question, do I actually have a relationship with Jesus? 
Maybe that's the question that you need to ask yourself this morning. Because here's the thing. You can hear an altar call and you can raise your hand and you can give your life to Jesus. You can come to church every week. But that doesn't mean you're walking with Jesus. That doesn't mean you have a relationship with Jesus. And so maybe today the step for you is to start right here. It's to say, okay, I need to understand that salvation and the altar call. And when I gave my life to Jesus, that wasn't the end. That was the very beginning of my walk with God. Salvation is an amazing gift, but it's the beginning. And then we enter into a daily relationship where we walk with Jesus. So I would encourage you, if you haven't gotten to that point in your faith walk, start with a relationship with God. Get to know the God who saved you. And so that's the first thing, how to live a holy life. We need to be in relationship with God. We need to really know God. And then the second thing is this. We need to be thankful for the gift of Jesus that bore the weight of our sins. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 5.21. You've probably heard this one before. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, blameless and perfect, never did anything wrong, took our place on the cross. That's a big deal, you guys. That's a big deal. He who had no sin became sin or became a sin offering to cover the sin in our life because we don't have the strength to cover it. He went to the cross to pay the debt. And now because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, we have the opportunity to be in relationship with him and to become the righteousness of God. Like, do you understand the magnitude of that? How incredible that is? It's just, it blows my mind every time I think about it. Not because of anything we did, but because we have been saved and we have a relationship with the one who paid the price. I think it's just so easy for us sometimes to forget how amazing the gift of salvation is. Have you guys ever received something in your life that you didn't earn? A couple people. Most of you in here are like, nope. I, I worked hard for everything I earned. I, this is the American way. We don't take anything we didn't earn, right? Uh, okay, I bet you we've all accepted something uh, we haven't earned or deserved before. You guys remember high school? I know there's some, Thad, you're pretty old. You probably don't remember high school, right? High school for me was, for us was 12 years ago. <laughs> Man, we're getting up there, right? But here's the deal. I got, this is group participation now. I'm going to ask you a question. I need you to be honest. Can we do that? Can we be honest, church? Okay, there we go. Now we're coming alive. All right. Who in here would say, I was a good student in high school? Raise your hand. Ooh, okay, that's rough. But hey, at least we're honest. Okay, who in here would say, eh, not such a great student, maybe could have worked a little harder? Okay, and those of you who didn't raise your hands, I'm really disappointed in you. It was supposed to be everyone participating. Okay, here's the deal. I know this may surprise you because I'm the goofy youth pastor, but I was a good student, okay? I was smart in high school, all right? Just in high school. Don't let anyone tell you different. I was a good student. I took honors classes. I was in AP classes, right? I had a good GPA. And then came senior year. Anyone else have that happen? Senior year, I was done. You guys, I wanted to be out of there. I was ready to move on. So I took the easy classes. Anybody else do that senior year? A few of you? Okay, cool. Okay, so I took gym classes. You guys, we had a, 
we had a class in high school, a gym class, where we literally got on a bus and went to the bowling alley and bowled. I was like, how are our tax dollars paying for this? This makes zero sense, right? I took gym classes, I took shop classes, I took study halls, I took what I like to call bird courses. Anyone, can anyone guess why I call them bird courses? Because you fly right through them. You like that one? Oh, rough crowd, rough crowd, tough crowd, tough crowd. Uh, but here's the deal. In order to graduate, I had to take a few real classes, and I did want to graduate, right? And so I remember in one of these classes, we had a group project. You guys remember group projects? They were the best. So what do you do when you are a senior in high school, you're checked out, you want to graduate and get a good grade, but you don't want to do any work? You get in a group with the smart kids, right? And so that's what me and my buddy Marcus did. We said, all right, we're going to find the three overachievers in the class. That's what we did. We found the three kids who wanted to, like, go to Ivy League schools or whatever. And we're like, here's the deal. We want to be in your group. We'll bring snacks, all right? And they're like, okay, you can be in our group. And so for three weeks, we showed up to all the research and the projects and the practices, and we didn't do a dang thing. (laughs) We just brought snacks, and we provided entertainment, all right? And so the day of the presentation comes, and our group has the whole class period to do this, 40 minutes. We didn't say anything the whole time, right? The three other kids are doing their thing, sounding smart, quoting stuff. Then the last five minutes comes, and they look at us like, hey, it's your turn. We're like, oh, okay. And so we just kind of recapped what they said and shut it down, all right? That was all we did for this project. Now, when the grade came, the three kids who did the work, they all got A's, well-deserved, right? You want to know what grade me and my buddy got? We got B's. (laughs) We beat the system, right? No work, did nothing. We got B's. I will take that any day of the week, right? We didn't deserve that grade, right? We, We just showed up. We didn't do any of the work. The other three did everything. They deserved the grade. We got a B. We did not deserve it. We benefited from the work of the others. Now, as silly as this is, I want you to think of our faith as a group project with you and Jesus, all right? Just think about it for a second, except here's the deal. You didn't even show up on presentation day. You didn't show up to any of the research. You didn't even bring snacks. You had no entertainment value, and when it came to do the work of the presentation, you didn't even show up. In fact, you sucked so bad that you made it harder for Jesus to get the job done that he needed to get done. You guys, we don't deserve salvation, We didn't do any of the work. And now that's just like a silly example to help you remember this point. But now to make a sharp turn here. In reality, Jesus' flesh was torn from his body. His flesh was torn from his body. He was strung up on a cross, mocked, spit on, and then eventually was stabbed and died a brutal death. Why? For you, for me so that we could be free, so that we wouldn't have to walk in and be controlled by our sin. You guys, salvation is a gift, and we didn't do a dang thing to deserve it. And we need to remember that. We need to remember the weight of what Jesus did for us. And so that's the second thing. Be thankful for the gift of Jesus that bore the weight of our sins. The third thing is this. Glorify God and get rid of the things that don't glorify him. God is asking us to live a certain way. Like, so what I'm saying for us is we need to live the life that God has called us to live. So how do we do that? Well, some of, for some of it, like, it's innately in us as human beings, especially as believers. Like, it's innately in us how we're called to live. But then we also have 
the Holy Spirit. We also have the word of God. We also have a relationship with him. So how do we know how to glorify God? Be in relationship with God. Have a relationship with Jesus. Learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Know the word of God, and he will begin to show you how you're called to live and the things in your life that you need to get rid of. And that's going to lead right into our fourth thing, which is this. Pray that God will search your heart. I think this is my favorite one here. When it comes to sin, our natural reaction is to hide it away, right? Like, we don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. We definitely don't want other people to know about the sin that we are struggling with. We just want to hide it away and try to deal with it on, on our own. Or maybe we don't even want to deal with it, and we just decide to sit down in it. And we just let the darkness take us over, and we let the sin control us in our life. But church, that's honestly the worst thing that we could ever do when it comes to sin, to hide it away or to just succumb to it. No, if we want to grow as believers, if we want to grow closer to God and mature in our faith, if we want God to use us to create a legacy of faith like Roger Lane, a legacy of faith in our families, our churches, our communities, then we need to be real about the sin that we have in our life. And so I want you to take a minute and just think about the sin in your life because we all have it. We all struggle with things. I want you to think maybe about that one sin in your life that no one else knows about. It's a secret sin. It's just between you and God. And you're like, oh, man, if, if anyone ever knew, if my wife ever knew, if my friends ever knew, if my church ever knew, I want you to think about that for a second. God wants you to work through it. He doesn't want you to have to live with that in your life. He wants you to get help. He wants you to repent. He wants you to grow. And you know what's really scary? I think most of us would probably say if we had the choice between everyone, let's say, in this room finding out about our secret sin or no one ever finding out, which will we choose? The second one, right? We would choose the second one. We'd say, I don't want anyone to know. But you know what the scariest thing is for me about that? Is that we might actually be able to keep our sin secret. That we might be able to pull it off. And we might be able to go through our whole life struggling and hurting and in darkness and controlled by our sin. We'll stay stuck in it, stagnant in faith, hurting on the inside all the while, trying to make everyone else think that you are good. I'm good. I'm blessed. I'm good. This is not healthy for us as believers. We're not called to live this way. And so let me just say this. One of the most loving things that God could ever do for you is to reveal your sin is to out you of your sin, to make your sin known. Because then you have no choice. You have to deal with it. You have to walk through it. You have to lean on Jesus to get through it. But if he lets you just keep it in, if he honors that choice and lets you just keep it in, lets you hide it, then that's when you should be really scared. And that's why I want to pray this prayer, and I hope you want to pray this prayer as well. It's a soupy, soup, soupy it's not a soupy, it's a super, a super scary prayer that we find in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, starting in verse 23. This actually came up at men's group on Tuesday uh, as we were reading. It just really stuck out to me, and then some of the other guys, it resonated with them as well. And so we spent a long time talking about this, and it fit in perfect for today. It says this, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This verse for me is both comforting and terrifying. Like it's comforting because I want to be close to God. Like I, and I want him to know me. I want him to know what I'm thinking and feeling, but it's also terrifying because if I pray this prayer, I'm literally asking God to out me. 
I'm asking him to search my heart and to reveal the things in me that I need to change, that I need to get rid of in my life. And sometimes this is something that is just done between us and God. Like he's going to be like, hey, like this little thing in your heart, like, man, we shouldn't be thinking that way. We shouldn't be living this way. Let's, let's work on it. Let's work through this. But other times he's going to out us in a way where it hurts a little bit more. So now maybe your spouse who didn't know, now they know. Maybe your friends know. Maybe your coworkers know. But I think if we pray this prayer in sincerity, God is going to reveal things at the level and magnitude that we need in our life to get us back on track. So again, it may just be a little nudge saying, hey, your heart's a little off on this. Like, let's work on this. Let's work through this. Let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. And for others, it may be your wife stumbles upon something sinful that you have on your computer that you haven't talked about with her yet. And so you're outed like that. And now it's awkward and it's heavy and it's hard, but it's at the magnitude that you needed to get back on track with God. I really like uh, this verse in the Passion Translation as well. It says this, God I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting way, the path that brings me back to you. This is how I want to live, church. I don't want to be afraid to let God search me and sift out the things that don't line up with who he has called me to be. I would much rather be outed of my sin and be embarrassed and feel weird about it than have him let me just hide it in and live a sinful life and be controlled by my sin. I would rather have him out me. And that's a really scary prayer, isn't it? Right? Because it's inviting him to say, hey, reveal what I haven't revealed. Show my wife the areas that I'm falling short. Show my church the areas where I'm falling short. But I would much rather be uh, feeling uncomfortable or ashamed than to live a life that's a lie and to live a life that isn't close to Jesus, to live a life that is stuck in darkness. We want to live a life that God has called us to be. Now, too often we do this backwards, okay? This is what we do. We show God who we are. We say, God, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is how I want to live. This is how I want to act. This is how I feel. And then we expect God to accept and affirm the way that we want to live. And that's backwards. That's backwards. As followers of, of Christ, we need to be aligning ourselves to God, not saying God align yourself to us. Right. Does that make sense? We want to look at the word of God and the character of God and say, okay, now search my heart, God. And if there are things in there that don't align with you and how you want me to live, I want to change. I don't want God to change. He's God. No, we change and we mold into who God has called us to be. Search me, God. I want to be more like you. Show me the ways that I need to change or live differently. And so those are the four things uh, that we wanted to talk about this morning when it comes to living a holy life. First off, we need to really know God. We need to be in relationship with him, be walking with him daily. Second, we need to be thankful for the gift of Jesus that bore the weight of our sins, that we don't deserve salvation. But man, when we can just get to the point where we can be so humbled and so thankful, like it causes us to want to live a holy life because of what he has done for us. Uh, third, glorify God and get rid of the things that don't glorify him, which leads right into praying that prayer, praying that God will search your heart. We'll sift through it and say, hey, these are the ways that you need to change. These are the ways that I want you to live different. And then we say, okay. And then we go and do what he has asked us to do. Good job. Thanks, honey. You're very entertaining. 
<laughs> Someone last night came up to me and said, I learned something about your marriage. Steven is the entertainer and you're the intellectual. And I was like, what? Really? <laughs> no. But as we close today, we want to end with a, just a little time of personal reflection. Um, as we talked about throughout this whole message, the price of sin in our lives is huge. And it affects every single one of us. So one important step that we believe in as Christians is the act of repentance. Acts 3.19, it says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. So we want to take a little few minutes together and just spend some time for you to have personal time of repentance with the Lord. I really love the picture of Jesus wiping away our sins. Uh, as I was reading that verse, I was thinking about my kids and, you know, like the Nestle um, powder uh, chocolate milk? Our kids love that stuff and they like mix it in with their milk. They like to do it on their own, I think because they put more powder in it than I would ever <laughs> allow them to. So they make it all syrupy and a few... Uh, this last week, Rachel, our daughter, was making it, and she spilled the um, chocolate milk all over, like all over the floor. And the bummer about like when kids spill, I feel like, is it never just like lands neatly, right? It like explodes. It's everywhere. It goes up and down the walls and on the cabinets and like throughout the whole kitchen floor. And then you say to your kid, like, "Hey, like you made that mess. It's okay, but let's. You should clean it up." And so I think her cleaning it up is like she just takes one paper towel for that massive mess and just like lays it on the, her little mess that she created with her chocolate milk and then like walks away. Or maybe if we're lucky, she'll like pick up the paper towel and it'll be dripping and she walks all the way with it over to the garbage can. So now there's the other side of the kitchen is also a mess. Well, I was thinking about then I go over, right? And I go over and after she's tried to clean it up, then I go over and I usually like have the Swiffer and the Clorox wipes and the magic erasers and I start cleaning it up and I think, oh my gosh, now it's on the, this side of the kitchen and then it's on the cabinet and it's behind the refrigerator. I don't know how it got behind the refrigerator. And then I think to myself, well, geez, I'm down here and I've cleaned this entire portion. We might as well get out the Murphy's oil and I'll just clean the whole kitchen floor, which then that'll lead into the entryway and everything then gets wiped clean. And I think about that with Jesus. Like, I know it sounds like a silly illustration, but we so often try to clean up our own mess of sin, and it is so inadequate because we can't reach all the spots. We can't get behind the refrigerator. We can't do it on our own. But Jesus so kindly wipes it all clean. He gets all those spots that we can't get to. He gets to those sins that we think, man, this is way too big, or this is way too hidden, or way too hard for me to clean up on my own. And he so kindly says, it's my joy to clean up after your mess. And after I do it, there will be no spot. And that's what he does. It is his joy. So there is no sin that is too big. There is no sin that he looks at and says, I can't, I can't even touch that mess. He intentionally is so kind with us. And it is his joy to come and clean up our mess. And so that's what we want to spend some time doing today. Ask Jesus to for, ask Jesus for forgiveness. You cannot outsin the blood of Christ. Like I said, he literally died to forgive you, and it is his joy to do so. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, this is great, but I have never asked Jesus into my life. I, we also want to provide you with that opportunity because having Jesus a part of your life is the greatest decision that you will ever make. Now, once you accept Jesus, of course, that doesn't mean you stop sinning, but it does mean that you enter into forgiveness, and it does mean you enter into that journey of holy living, and it's just the beginning. So if you'll all bow your heads with me and pray together. 
First, I just want to um, provide you with an opportunity if you haven't invited Christ into your heart. Um, if you would just slip up your hand, um, we're going to say a prayer together, and then you can repeat after me. So I'll invite you to do that if that is something that you feel like you need to do this morning. Otherwise, we're all going to say a prayer together. So repeat after me. Jesus, I am a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Make me a new creation. Help me to live for you. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you, again, that prayed that prayer, that's just the beginning of your faith journey, and that is something to be celebrated. But if you continue with your eyes closed, I just want to give you a couple minutes for you to pray on your own and just repent of your personal sins and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what your next steps are in the journey of holy living. Because, again, we are never complete on our journey. So Jesus, as so many of us have prayed this morning, we thank you so much for dying on the cross for our forgiveness. Lord, forgive us for when we desensitize ourselves from the sin in our lives that leads us down a path that we don't want to be on. We know that our choice of sin has consequences. So I pray today that you would search our hearts and that you would reveal to us how to continue to grow on our personal journey of holy living. We want to be more like you, Jesus. We want to be more like you this year than we were last year, more like you today than we were yesterday. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here uh, this Sunday. We're so glad you were able to join us. If we haven't had a chance to meet you, we'd love to meet you after the service. Uh, you guys have a great week. And we will have prayer teams up here as well if you need someone to pray with. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.